New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I'm your host. Sports Blog New York Podcast, iTunes, Apple Podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, of course, sportsblognewyork.com. Hit us on Twitter at sportblognyc. But enough of that. Enough of that garbage. My man, Alec Argento, hosted with me tonight. What's up, brother? So Happy to be back. It's been a while. It has been. It's been a couple weeks. You know, uh, we've had this rotation on the SBNY pod. We had Phil and Mike Palmazano back last week. We had a couple, couple of the old regulars, the old reliables, and now you're back here. So that's what we got going. Back to the top of the rotation. It's good to have the number two and three guy, but you know, I'm the ace of the ace of the rotation. Are so. you are you putting them on blast? You're saying you're no, number I mean, one. Everyone's got their their spot to fill in the rotation. I think we would that, that would be something we have to actually try to get some feedback on. We don't get like oodles of feedback on this podcast, but we who else do goes get on some. rants like I do about Dak? Nobody. That's what the people want to hear. You should be careful because you're speaking right now while the Cowboys are still playing right like tonight. Okay. This podcast is out on Monday, so people could be listening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. So, so regardless, they beat a crappy Oakland Raiders team. Does that change anything? Well, you're also presuming that they won. I'm not even sure. I think they're up ten nothing, but yeah. Um, I guess I don't know. You you just you do shit. On, no one shit on shits on Dak like you. That's fair. No, I'm 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 the number one Dak hater in America probably. Yes, and you know whoever's opposing Skip Bayless at the moment, just because he's so, he's so pro, the other person just one point four. Yeah, one point four. There you go. One point four. Um, Dak played. That's not what we're here to talk about. But the, what, what we what we got to talk about, man. Um, people are gonna be freaking out. I assume it's still Sunday night, like we said. But I'm assuming people are gonna be freaking out about this catch or lack thereof in the Steelers game. So I know I have a thought or two about that. But later on in the podcast, we're gonna talk a little bit about the New York Knicks, man. Because the hell, the New York Knicks, they've been like. Fun competing. Con- don't, don't do it, Pete. Yeah, I'm just saying. Don't get excited. It's it's heartbreak city. No, no, excited. no, no. Listen to the words that I'm choosing. I'm saying fun, competing. Like I'm not saying that they're really good. I'm not saying that they're a playoff team. I'm just saying that they come out every night and have a chance to to be in the game at the end. And even with Kristaps Porzingis out, I I thought they had no chance. I had I thought they had no hope against the Thunder. Uh, the other night, and they really competed from the opening whistle, and they ended up running away with it, which the Knicks, even though they've been winning a lot of games, or like relatively a good amount of games, they haven't been blowing people out, and they handled the thunder. Like, that's fun. It's impressive. It's a little impressive. Are you slowing your roll still? Like, where are you at? We'll, we'll talk about it. I just, one thing I want to say is, we still have, we have the best, we have the best um, home record in basketball, and we have the worst away record in basketball. So, till that changes, one of those things is going to regress to the mean, and you're hoping it's it's the uh, the road wins. Wait, what if they both regress to the mean, and then that means they're kind of just the same? Well, you'd be a playoff team if you did that. All right. Uh, so, that, that's, that's some stuff we need to talk about. We need to talk about the Knicks, talk about a little mellow return to the garden that whole thing was really fun uh also you haven't had your chance to give your two cents about aaron boone and john carlos stanton and um, actually mike stanton as we like to call him who mike's mike stanton mike the the, the uh, former relief pitcher no 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 um the formerly mike stanton mike stanton is, is the guy from from miami is he on the team or something yeah you heard of him uh through the grapevine a little bit i'm not too familiar yeah yeah the yankees um the yankees got a new guy to swing a baseball bat, <laughs> and it's uh, going to be a little crazy out here in the Bronx. So i got to give you your chance to give your two cents on Boone and Stanton. Uh, but also, I think we need to first touch on this this catch thing because I was watching the, the game with my dad. He, um, in his little family bet with my cousin, he had, he had the Steelers, right? So a big play for him. Ended up being a push because the Patriots won by three. He had it at three. Um, 
but he's freaking out like, oh, it's a catch, that's a catch, it's a touchdown, it's a touchdown. I'm like, that you know how this rule goes. Like you know what happens when they start reviewing. You're like, why is this review taking so long? Oh wait, his hand moved. Oh my god, did the ball hit the ground? Oh my god, that's not going to be a catch. That's crazy. And that's exactly what happened. So people freak out, but from my perspective, I'm over here saying like, hasn't this been happening for the past two years? Like, why are people still shocked by the catch rule? I don't get it. You said that to me before, before we started recording. I feel like I didn't notice this at all last year. This is a this is a this year kind of thing. You saw, I saw, uh, and I haven't really, admittedly, been watching a lot of NFL this year, um, just because I, I don't really like the quality out there, like a lot of people. Um, but. I didn't notice this at all last year. This year, you're seeing a lot of uh, you're seeing a lot of catches just get withdrawn. And the problem is that it's the rule because the officiating has been consistent. Right. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of part of my point too. It's like the refs aren't all over the place on this one. If the ball hits the ground and their hands kind of jiggle around the ball, or one hand comes off for a second, if the ball hits the ground, they're going to call it incomplete. Like I don't think it's been um, inconsistent. It, but remember the Des Bryant, the big Des Bryant play in the playoff game was when it was it start- a catch? It, it, apparently not. <laughs> right? Exactly. So it, that's kind of when it really took off. And then that's fair. slow and steady, it's been building and building. I feel like right now it's been really ramped up because people are pissed off. You know what it is? People don't really care until it affects their team. Right. And that's that. And right. So like that's why people still get upset every time it happens. You know, it happened to the Giants early in the year. It happened to the Jets early in the year. Now it's starting to happen to playoff teams in in, in big game scenarios, like it happened today with the uh, the Steelers and the uh, and the Patriots. Yeah, for real. I mean, you mentioned it. The, I, the way you worded it was like interesting. I think that's what a good way to say it was. You're, it's not the officiating; it's the actual rule. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of the part of the problem. So in my opinion, is whatever is a catch on the field not near the end zone, should be the same as a catch in the end zone. Today's play, what made it interesting was he had a knee down. Like, he caught the ball, two hands on it. His knee was down. Wait, he was reaching reaching for the, thing, for, the, uh, for the end zone. Crossed the plane, which in every other situation of football, if the ball crosses the plane, is a touchdown. Literally, you can cross the plane, and the defender can knock it out right after. It's still a touchdown. But in this specific case, because he was going to the ground as he – possess the ball but not long enough apparently that's how that one becomes incomplete so do you think there's something that can be done to kind of like balance that out like with the end zone because it's really when the end zone gets involved is where it gets really tricky was there a rule change or was this always the rule and that they just started officiating it this way i think when uh replays became more involved across like football Right, because there's always been challenges. Not always, yeah, but there's been challenges for a been, while. Replays have been around for the past like ten years or so. No, but there's been challenges for a while. But now it's like every scoring play, every turnover are automatically reviewed. That's probably that's and a, that's, that's kind of so every touchdown. Like it used to be, Jesse James catches it, like no one touched him. He reaches for the pylon. They call a touchdown. Like that's most likely a touchdown unless they challenge it. But every scoring play gets reviewed. So that's why I think that's probably why it's popping up more. At least. So. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if anything's going to happen here. I mean, I, I'm just happy it happened to the Steelers. I'm a big Steelers hater. <laughs> I mean, don't you also hate the Patriots? I I don't really care about the Patriots. Like I hate. I, I don't really deal with the Patriots. As a Giants fan, they're really never like not really a rival. You know, it's not like we have a di- actual rivalry with them. That's not like a cockiness thing. It's just you know, factual. The Steelers- no, I was actually funny. You said I was literally in Boston this weekend, and I was talking to a guy at a restaurant, one of the the servers, and mentioned I was from New York. Told him I was a Knicks fan. I was like, ah, don't worry. I got no hate for the Celtics. 
And then he goes, oh, don't tell me you're a Jets fan. You poor, like, basically, you poor bastard. I was like, yeah. nah, I'm a Giant fan. He goes, like, all right, we're good. I mean, you guys beat us, but I don't hate you well, guys. I think that's funny. I mean, there's not really a rivalry with Boston, and like, hasn't been for, like, the past, like, 10 years in any sport for the, for, for New York-Boston. I mean, we, we haven't really been good at the same time. Now you're starting to see it a little bit in baseball, but Boston, uh, the Celtics versus the Knicks hasn't been a rivalry in a long time. Um, if you're you, you know what's funny, actually? I saw um, in the Mellow recap, since we're going to talk about the Knicks in a minute, too, they mentioned uh, how he got that one playoff win, the first Knicks playoff win, uh, playoff series win since 2000. Well, when we lost uh, against the Pacers? Yeah, in the second yeah. round. But the Knicks beat the Celtics in that in the first round there. I forgot about that. that people forget about that. I feel like that was a weird time was where the Celtics KG were like, that yes, that was like their last. Uh, they were, yeah, that's when they, they were done. Yeah. They were done. Uh, maybe at least close well, to they it. Had to be, they had exactly. to be a seven seed, right? Because we were two seed that year. That would make yeah, sense. So they, they were on the tail end. That's right before they traded him to, to the Nets. Right. Yeah. Oh, what a what a trade for the Nets! Um, <laughs> the people literally forget about that. Like that, I guess that was a point I where did. it's like the Celtics were just good; they won a championship. Now the Knicks are like good, but it's still kind of fake good because they didn't do much. But yeah, I don't know. People forget, but now the Celtics are way better, so it's not even close. I don't know how we got there. Uh, naturally, naturally, I guess <laughs> organically. Right? I don't know where to go after. Is what I should no, say. Go to the Knicks. We'll talk about the Knicks now. I think I think we I think we need to say something. I think we need to say Michael Beasley. Be easy. Be, is is like he said he was a walking bucket. My man is a walking bucket. He he literally comes out there, whether he's now starting with KP hurt or comes in randomly off the bench, and he'll just score. And you you can see his teammates you need to relying on him. You need to approach Be Easy with trepidation though, because you know who he is. I know he's a walking bucket. No, you know who he is. A walking bucket. He's J.R. Smith. He's, he's a walking he's, bucket. He's literally the same player, even to the fact that he went and played in sh- on the Shanghai Sharks or whatever, or Shanghai Ducks or whatever it is, right before uh, he, he got back into the NBA. He's the same exact player, so like lackadaisical on the court, as as, as Walt would say it. It's super exciting because he could score at any time, but at the same time, he never cares when he's on the court at all. And he's super fun. I, I, I'm, oh, wait, hold on. You, I, I think I, I don't know if I'm drinking some Kool-Aid right now. So he he checked me real quick. Okay, I I think Michael Beasley may have been that way for portions of his career. Definitely early on when he was number two pick, coming in hot, you know, still getting buckets. At least he thought so before before China, <laughs> pre China Beasley, right? He was like just a a free slinging guy trying to score, didn't care about anything. Then he went to China, he came back, had a weird season or two, had a nice little season with Milwaukee last year, and this year I heard him say something in a pre- in a post game press conference, basically like. Um, do you feel like you're getting some recognition now for what you've been able to do off the bench and in spot starts? And he's just like, man, I don't care about that. Like that's something I cared about like when I was younger. But I'm just trying to help help us get some wins when I'm out on the court. Try to do some things that I'm not known now, for doing. Does that speak like, to does him? That, does is that, that me drinking Kool Aid? Is that him drinking Kool Aid? Like what's going on? Well, I, I don't really think that speaks for him. I think that more speaks for the culture that the Knicks are trying to build in Hornacek. Uh, I think that they're really succeeding in that area i mean look everyone is buying into it no nobody's complaining about their shots or or you know even some of the players that you know willie in the, or billy in the beginning of the year was starting to complain a little bit that kind of went away right. damien dotson's not complaining ramon sessions who has a right to complain does he what he's a right to complain well he, he was the starter in the beginning of the year and yeah but like, i mean i'm just saying like yeah he's not as good but jared jack's not really a good point guard I mean, he's doing some he's things doing well, well but he's still not but he's wor- i think everyone's just working well within the system right you know um every when you have because nobody on that team is overly talented outside of kp 
even Tim Hardaway, who's who's putting up numbers for us when he, when he was he's playing, like a worker for it. He's working for it exactly, and he and 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 nobody's really getting on. You can see people like getting in each other's faces when they make dumb shots, and they don't really do it again in the rest of the game. So everyone's held accountable, and I, I think that that's kind of when you have a trust level between your teammates, uh, and everyone's held accountable, and and they don't take it personally. I think that speaks to the success. And and someone like Mike Beasley, who a lot of teammates can get frustrated with, you would think from the way he plays plays the game because he plays hero ball he does and yeah, that can sometimes. get you into trouble and it has gotten him into trouble uh remember with the rockets game a couple couple games ago uh started out so hot and then didn't you know get used to those heat checks because he just kept missing for the rest of the game yeah no uh i definitely feel that i mean a game against the rockets when we're talking about the knicks like i just never even i never even expect to compete basically but no right. i feel you so wait, i have a question though sure. so you said kp obviously the most talented like that's not even a second thought but you mentioned how a lot of these other guys, none of them are, are specifically like super talented. They Except kind of for Ron work. Baker. Ron Baker is incredible. Shot maker. Um, you could could you argue? Keep me keep heat checking me here, but can you argue that Mike Beasley is like the second or third most talented guy in the team? Talent, talent. I, I think you can make an argument that he's the most talented. No, one. come on. In right. terms of outside of KP. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said okay. no. No. Right, in, right, ter- right. in terms of pure scoring, he that guy. He, some of those plays he makes. Walking he, bucket. Did you see that play he made yesterday where he he uh, got through two defenders and then went with the uh, the, the offhand and then got the n one on it as well. At the, uh, he, he, yeah. yeah. That was incredible. Yeah, well, I mean, when he's in the painted area or like elbow extended, he can do a lot of different things. He can really score, shoot over people, post up, face up. He has a lot in the arsenal. Once he's inside, you know, he's, he's 16 a, to 18 feet. He's even a good three-point shooter when he actually takes his time and sets himself. Yeah. He's not great. You know, he could shoot for a league average, though. You're not going to be mad when he's shooting an open three. Like, nope. sometimes you see, uh, like, even though Kyle Kin will, I mean, he's only shot, like, five threes this year. Like, you, he's not a guy you want shooting threes. When Michael Beasley's pulling up for a three, you're like, all right. You know what's I can, really I impressed me, too? Jared Jack has found a shot of it. I don't know if you've noticed that. that don't you kind of think he kind of just needed to get his feet under him? Like, early on in the year, he... Hadn't played in like two seasons. He hadn't played like literally. He's been hurt for two seasons. Yeah, I don't know. But you've seen how he was in the beginning of the year, and now what he's doing now. Like he actually shoots for a decent percentage. You didn't want him shooting the ball. He would he would go zero points and get ten assists because he was just there was no shot. He was actually going to take a shot. And he's got the floater game working. By the way, speaking of floater game, my my man this year, my guy, love him so far this year. I love every everything from energy, leadership, actual offensive, I don't want to say specifically talent, because he's talented, but production and just keeping the team with the right type of mindset. Courtney Lee has been the guy for the Knicks this year. You mean leadership? Oh, wow. Bing, bang, boom. That is that is good. I wish my soundboard was <laughs> over because I would have hit the applause button. <laughs> wow. Um, he does a little bit of everything. He clearly has been okay with taking more – offensive responsibility and i think it's the first time in his career he's playing with confidence like he's a actual good nba starter well what i think is super in in the same vein of what you're saying i think it's the first knicks team i've watched in a while where there's definitive leaders that people actually follow you could tell besides lee lance thomas is, is a oh leader yeah on the, oh know? yeah we we love to make fun of lance thomas when we watch the knicks but he's been a great presence. Even even someone I, I know I, I I go back and forth with Ennis Cantor. He's, he's definitely a leader on, on the team as well. He keeps he's a great glue guy for this team. Really rallies people together. You have a lot of those people on the court, and that's what I like. You know, we were talking before about the the Sixers versus the Knicks, and Sixers are by far way more talented than what the 
Knicks are. But I, I think at the end of the day, they're they're similar teams, and uh, and the fact that the Knicks have a good fluidity and cohesion together. Um, by the players that they have and the type of work ethics that they seem to put out. I mean, Ron Baker and Lance Thomas and Frank Nielakino, like the defense that they put out there, it's contagious and it makes everyone. Doug McDermott. I mean, his. Wait, been, I got to be quite honest. I've been seeing more in the past three games of the Nielakino Ron Baker duo. I love it. I'm a big <laughs> fan. Moore. Yo, I'm actually a fan because I felt like they come in. And I mean, Frank was in really bad foul trouble. That, that, that part wasn't good. But when they come in, they provide instant spark with energy and defensive presence. And when Ron Baker has any sort of confidence shooting the ball, actually, I don't think confidence is the right word for him. He's never not had confidence. (laughs) He always looks kind of confidence with with the shot. When he has a fluid shot going, he actually is kind of uh, dynamic offensively because he cuts so hard and like makes the right pass. I don't know. I like like the the Ron-Frankie duo. He works well with them that because they're both – they're both equally and uh, equally comfortable and uncomfortable with the ball and off the ball. You know, like so they they, yeah, ca- they complement each other and they could also get into trouble together. But they complement each other in, in that fact where you know Ron Baker's not a great ball handler, neither is Frank. But um, together they, they can really push and space the floor a bit with the, with their shots. Frank's shot when he's open, I mean he can't hit anything inside. But when he's uh, when he's open, he he has a nice little stroke to him. He definitely has a clean stroke. He has that little uh, mid range pull up game going now a little bit. I like that. I just want to see him make a contested layup, like one time. I want to see him make an open layup. I don't think I've seen him make an open layup the entire year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know why. And I, honestly, you know why I, a big part of me wants to uh, see Frank do that? Because Clyde needs it, man. Walt Clyde <laughs> Frazier is all day while Frank's in the game. is just like, and and the youngin won't go to the hoop. Like he's just not <laughs> I about. I need it. you to do more Walt Frazier impersonations. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, the, I, we can make a whole podcast about you doing Clyde impersonations. I'd be totally in for it. I, I I would need to now. Now you got me nervous over here. I got nothing. You should be. I got I got nothing. <laughs> I'm shook. Be. I'm shook as hell over here. Oh my gosh. Um, we started talking about the Knicks by bringing up Michael Beasley after the whole like mini mellow thing, but. Uh, some jokes I saw on Twitter is how, like, you know, the Spider-Man meme of, like, Mello and Mike Beasley. I was about to say the same you know, exact like, thing. <laughs> oh, Mello's just going to be guarding Lefty Mello tonight and all this stuff. And it kind of, in the end, outshined Mello's return to the garden. So I mean, we, we actually got distracted off that right away. So let me let me ask you this. What do you think of the uh, ovation slash montage, whatever they made for him? Like, the whole the whole welcoming Mello back. How would you feel about all that? Yeah, I mean, it went exactly as I was, uh, as I was expecting. I mean... Um, the one thing you got to keep in mind is that he was a 33 year old just playing off a triple overtime game. So, uh, you know, what, what do you put on the court was to be expected, but you know, the, the Knicks have been trying to do that once a Nick, always a Nick thing for the past year or so, where they really welcome everybody back that they do that. So they do that for a lot of players. Um, but you know, the, the, the montage is really nice and, uh, you got an ovation, but you know, once you're on the court, you're on the court, you get your booze just like anybody else. We got them, uh, you know, uh, Think of like James Harden gets the booze he, just because he's he's a good player on another team. Uh, I, I think it's I, on just on another note, it's pretty crazy how bad the Thunder are. Just they're not a good team. I mean, they, they had, like you said, they just came off of a triple overtime. They had just won uh, two or three in a row. So they they st- just ba- basically what happened for the Thunder, uh, which for us and the SBNY podcast and only really caring about Melo's return and getting a good win for them, it's kind of like we just kind of got something going and then we lost to the Knicks by like 15 or whatever yeah. the hell they lost by. So that got to be a big letdown for them. How much of a letdown is a 12 point first half, zero point second half for Mello? 
Yeah, that's it's definitely a letdown. I I just think it's great. That's a, that was a trade that really worked out in the Knicks' favor. At least by now, I mean things could change dramatically by then. But when that trade was made, people were thinking we got nothing from that. You got you got two really good players for this year, and you got a great second round pick out of it. You're gonna have the best second round pick in in the draft. So it's essentially an extended first round pick. Uh, that's a pretty good trade for the Knicks compared. For thirty-three-year-olds, what, what do you? I mean, to put it as like really as simple as possible, I didn't look up the statistic, but about forty-five minutes a game of, of play we get, yeah, right. Like Cantor, I'm assuming Cantor averages around thirty, Doug around fifteen to twenty. That's that's a lot of minutes to get. And you know what? A lot of people thought about Melo. It was addition by subtraction. Like literally, get rid of him and bring back nothing, and we will be happy. Like a lot of people felt that way. The fact that you can bring back a guy who can shoot threes, do a little backdoor cut do the right thing on offense, play hard defense, and Doug McDermott. And then Cantor's been – Cantor's a guy, actually, who has me all types of torn. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> all types of torn. Uh, the Knicks fans love him, and I think the Knicks fans who love him most are the ones who didn't know much about him or never really saw him play. Right, this isn't anything new. This is just him getting more minutes and putting more production into the things that he was always doing. This is him actually getting to be a starter – because he never has earned a starting spot on another team. Right. Or if he did for OKC, he lost it. Right. But, I mean, if you have Steven Adams in front of you, you're still, he's still not as good as Steven Adams. And they Adams. don't fit next to each other at yeah. all. Like, at all. Um, but, I mean, you, you take those boards. And, and I think O'Quinn really compliments him on, on the uh, out of the bench. You know, they, they're different types of players, but similar in the same way that keeps the scheme going. But, you know, they, they could do a little bit more things. I don't think Cantor's a really good passer. I was going to Kylo Quinn's passing, though, yeah. has been impressive. I, I've liked it. He hits those backdoor cuts all day. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. I'm just really impressed with it. It, it, Something I, we talked about before the season started, you know, what we wanted to see out of this Knicks team without a ton of talent is we want to see effort on def- on defense. And if there's anything you got out of the season so far, it's effort on defense from everyone on the court. Even someone like Beasley, who doesn't really give any effort, he's giving more than he would normally give on, on, on the court, you know? Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get at before. Like, what he's been saying in press conferences, what he's kind of looked like on the floor, it looks like he cares more about winning basketball than he has in, in the past. And not to say, like, he didn't try to win ever before this, but... He's been his, playing lights his out. His priorities were different he, in the past. He's been playing lights out since he shaved his crappy beard. I don't know <laughs> no, if you It was a weird that. straggly like neck beard, yeah, wasn't it? No, but it was a cheek beard. It, what? <laughs> it was just a little bit on his cheek. And then once he tightened his braids, uh, and uh, and he got rid of that beard, he uh he's been playing pretty well. So. I wonder if he's still been wearing a watch on his ankle. <laughs> I haven't noticed. I haven't noticed, so I gotta keep an eye out for that. I uh I put out a tweet actually from him, the our NBA Outsiders account. NBA, uh, at NBA underscore outsiders. That's uh, one of the NBA pods we do through the SBNY podcast. And it was something about the MVP vote so far, like who who it was or what the odds. I forget what it was, but it was about the MVP. And I, I basically wrote, Michael Beasley is your MVP's MVP. And hashtag <laughs> don't sleep. And since then, he's been doing even better. And I, I love it, man. It's so fun. But wait, oh, you got something else on Bees? Uh, I'm just going to say, he's going to come. He's We're going to hate him as much as we love him. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's JR. He's, he's exactly like JR. And he can be great when he, when he's great, and he's horrible when he's when he's. You know what? Off. You know what's nice though. Like with with the problem with those J.R. Smith Knicks, they're not the Mellow Knicks. The J.R. Smith Knicks, when he won the Sixth Man of the Year, right. we needed him to be Sixth Man of the Year like every right. every That's night. Fair. With Michael Beasley, what I what I think makes him so effective through thirty so games, even though he's only even been effective in like eight games and recently a couple, um, is that we don't need him every night. You know, like we don't if KP is healthy, he might get a DNP on any given night. Obviously, he's been earning more minutes recently, but he can also get a DNP and the Knicks can still win. Like they needed every inch out of JR when he was good. 
they're not expecting that from Beasy. Would you go as far to say that the Knicks actually have depth right now? I think I would. <laughs> I think the Knicks, like when I was watching the Thunder, the Thunder game, I only only caught the first half live. Uh, I was watching it, and the Raymond Felton, uh, Jeremy Grant led second unit yeah. of the Thunder was in, which I actually don't mind what Raymond Felton does for that team. I think he's effective. I, I looked at the then Ron Baker, Frank Nealakina, Kylo Quinn, Doug McDermott lineup that was in. I liked I liked the Knicks backup. I think that their depth is a huge strength. And proving without KP and Hardaway that they compete, they can compete. Yeah, like that. That shows they got depth. I don't know. To me, I mean, I, I just look at the players that are getting DNPs every night. You know, and those are players on a team like the Thunder who don't have a very good bench will be getting minutes. You know, Willie would be getting minutes without a doubt. Uh, Dotson would probably be getting minutes on that team, and Jokum Jokum could play on some teams. And you know, he's not really fitting our skin. And that's another thing. I'm really happy with with Hornacek that he's not getting bogged down by contracts and playing Jokum just because he needs to play. Jo- you know, Jokum. he's not even dressing Jokum. He's not, and, and and it really helps the team. And even he's you don't see any complaints coming out of Noah. No, you don't. I, see, you don't I, see complaints coming out I of think, anyone. I think Joe Kim Noah is more self-aware than we would ever care to even think about. He's like, not dumb. Yeah, he's, he's not, not dumb. Idiot. He knows he's getting paid out the ass for nothing. He knows he duped Phil Jackson, I guess. And now he knows that he just wants to not be like a jerk and try to help where he can. And him complaining about not suiting up would not be one of those things. You know, that's something I always find interesting when, when you see somebody who has a really bad contract. And like, the, you know, the, the, the fan's instinct is to get mad at the actual player. But in reality, it's it's the ownership in the front office that gave him that con. You can't get mad at them for taking. So I look at that with someone like Jacoby Ellsbury on the Yankees. Like you know, everyone's complaining that he has his contract, but it's really on the ownership for giving him that contract. So you can't get mad at them. And just if they if they don't complain about it and they know their place, then you know it it still helps the team that you could have someone like that, uh, and in that mentality, it brings something to the team in its own right. Speaking of ownership and leadership, how fun is it to have a Knicks season? Through whatever thirty something games, and we we don't have to mention no drama. We don't know, we don't have to mention the triangle like at all. When was the last time you heard the triangle? <laughs> I haven't heard it since uh, since before the season started. That's what I'm saying. Oh, it's so it's actually great. It's actually great. But I have two more things in the Knicks, sure, and then I want to get uh, flip back over to baseball because I already got people texting me now, and I'm seeing on Twitter it's winter meetings time, bro. No one cares about it. Like weird stuff. I'll get to that in a minute. But two more things in the Knicks. One. I don't know exactly where you stood on this before the season or a couple weeks in, but are you still feeling very good about the Frank Nealakina, specifically regarding the people who went after him, a la Dennis Smith, a la Malik Monk, De- uh, Donovan Mitchell, all that? Are you still feeling good about Frank? What do you mean in terms of his future in the, in the NBA? Of the fact that he ended up being the Knicks pick, his future in the NBA, what he's been doing so far, overall, yeah, overall I mean, feelings. I mean, listen, I've said this a million times, and you've agreed with me. It takes a while for a point guard to settle in in the NBA. It takes about two years, usually. And you look at the other point guards in this draft, he's in line with the rest of them, if not better than a lot of them. I mean, I think he's doing – I think if he got Lonzo Ball minutes, he'd be doing better than Lonzo Ball or something like that. Um, you haven't really seen anything out of Malik Monk or, or Dennis Smith's had an up-and-down year so far. He, What you get out of him is a little different than what you're getting out of everyone else in the fact that he plays really good defense. He gets into foul trouble, but he's a rookie, you know, and he's, he's long too, and – the NBA is kind of transitioning now with certain players that are different than most, and they'll get used to officiating, just like they got used to officiating on KP. Um, but, you know, he, he goes out there, he tries every night, he's, he's getting more confident. And that's where I think we, we, we've we seen him grow a lot, too, is his confidence in his game. He's not afraid to take a shot anymore, which we was in the beginning of the game. And understandably so, he's a rookie. But when he starts getting that and he's playing good defense, 
that's what you want to see out of a rookie year, and I think it's a really good success so far. He's going to have his ups and downs, but if he learns, and he seems to be getting better and better. You know, he had that really nice game the other day where he had, like, six assists, six rebounds, and I think, like, 13 points or something like that. You get that, and it's really going to, you know, it's going to help the team, and, and when the team wins, it also helps you grow and get more confident in your game. And One of the things I've loved about Frank is that he's earning these, like, fourth-quarter crunch time minutes. There's been multiple fourth quarters where the Knicks have won, They've either held a small lead or taken a lead from being behind, but he's played every minute of a fourth quarter multiple times this year. And the the fact that Jeff Hornacek looks at this team and has the the savvy vet, if you want to call him a savvy vet, Jarrett Jack, you know, running the show in the beginning and coming back in to settle things down, but then fourth quarter comes around and he's like, Frank, you're my guy. That's a fantastic sign because they've been winning in those situations. So I'm I'm all on board with that. I love what I'm seeing from Frank lately. Confidence will slowly but surely come. His stroke is smooth. Don't you think that's the most it, important thing with him is the confidence yeah, that you're seeing that Absolutely. More? Absolutely. And when when he actually does make a layup and then a contested layup and hell maybe even a dunk because he can No, nah, I don't think we'll see that for a couple dunk. years. <laughs> <laughs> Over under um, the new year he gets a dunk. That's a tough one. <laughs> I think he might end the year with a dunk. You think he gets one dunk? This <laughs> I, year? I really do. So he could go one more than that and go one less than that. I don't. I don't know. He's. I don't see him getting a dunk anytime soon. He's been wide open and misses. Like he's on fast breaks and missing wide open layups. He might so. have to. He might. Ha- he should dunk. He could probably dunk easier he's got than do a arms longer than my body. Like, yeah, he's, he's crazy. He could dunk from his knees. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out Frank, man. Shout out because he's been busting his ass. And Frank is—he's been doing some good things, and his passing is good. He—I he, love when he slips in the bounce pass on the pick and roll. Oh, oh man, he'll slip one to Kylo Quinn through on a, on like a on a fast break. I, That's what I'm a big I love. fan of. That. This team, this team's passing has been so crisp this year, and just really nice no looks and through the legs and things like that. You don't you never see that on the Knicks anymore, because especially when you're reliant upon someone like like Mello who who plays the ISO ball and you know Beasley. But everyone's passing and I, I know you 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 and I always talk about how bad of a passer KP is or not that he's a bad passer that he doesn't look to pass. When he's been passing more recently, he's been getting some nice ones. Now that he's starting to get used to the doubles that he wasn't in the beginning of the year, uh he's he's learning how to pass out of that and that's a huge part of being a, a number one player on a team. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree more. I love nothing more than seeing KP get some assists because it makes his off- it makes his offensive life so much easier. Yeah, like, and he's, it nev- makes- he's never going to be a triple double on assists, oh, you no know, way. ever. I don't think he's, he'll no, ever not, get he's one not like even the same type of uh, facilitator like a Jokic. Like Jokic looks to facilitate and be the the middleman right. of an offense. Like KP is the the assassin of the offense. Right, it's different. Uh, shout out Frank. Was that the was that the horn? Was that the Rasta horn? Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, you don't have uh, the headphones, so you you couldn't hear it. But it's it's in there, baby. Shout out Brooklyn. Shout out Staten Island. <laughs> it's lit. It's so lit. Um, <laughs> one more thing I want to do about the Knicks, and I think it's simple, and I think it's pretty easy with you know how we have been talking about it to see where we may lie on this. But let me let me pose it to you. They asked Scott Perry, the new GM of the New York Knicks, a guy who uh, I think had a pretty good welcoming to the Knicks, and then. So far, so good. I think that's the general consensus on Scott Perry. So they asked him recently about you know tanking versus competing versus do you think you're a playoff team versus all this expectation stuff. And he basically said tanking is not an option. There's there's no way to build a culture that can come to lead that can lead to success when thinking about tanking ever. Like there's no room for even thinking about tanking. Now that seems like also the obvious answer for any GM to say because you're not going to put your players, coaches and workers under the bus saying we're trying to lose. That's never going to happen. 
but I, I think he really means that. And I think he the one thing he said, which would make people a little mad, I think, he'd rather have just missed the playoffs and be in the end of the lottery than tank on purpose and have this high pick that, you know, you get a chance at a top five player. And I couldn't agree more. And we've been saying this since last year that a winning culture can will trump tanking 10 times out of 10 because you can tank and get all these players as much as you want. If these guys only know losing, it's going to take that much longer to turn around. This is a no-brainer to get on board with. I'd rather be the ninth, 10th, 11th team in the East, almost make the playoffs, maybe not even come that close, but have a winning culture like we do right now. I'm all on board for that. Oh, 100%. I feel like we actually have competency in the front office for the first time in my my knowing of the Knicks, at least. Um uh, winning, uh, we actually have an identity for the first time. When was the last time you, even for those years we had Mello, I mean, there was we would just win and lose in different ways. It was never, you never knew what you were going to get out of the Knicks each the I- night. The identity was we have Mello, and sometimes he's going to win us games, and sometimes he's not going to quite be able right, to win us games. But that's, <laughs> that's not a team identity. I mean, the, you, you, you're starting to see what the team is forming as as a whole. I mean, they play good team defense. They play good team pass, uh, uh, have a good passing offense now. Um, they put they just put effort out there, and that's what you need in the NBA now. And that 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 brings people. You know, people were obviously scared to after what Phil Jackson did to the to the the identity of uh, of the Knicks for like you know bringing in talent from the outside. Nobody wanted to play for something like this. I think you have a point now where you can see a, f- a bright future there. Might not be there now. It might be a couple of years away. Um, but you know, you add a couple more pieces, and you could see this team really genuinely competing. Not obviously not right now. I want to keep saying that. But you know, you add one one more really good player there on the uh, on the start on the starters. Maybe you you add a couple more role players on the bench, and this team could compete with anyone. I mean, in in, in a few years, there's definitely things to be happy about, <laughs> and that's the number one thing to be happy about. There's not there's not things to be miserable about with the Knicks. There's not things to be upset with every night. It's things to look forward to, and it's um, you know some decent basketball being played. Are we doing it though? We said this at the beginning before the season started. I don't think we're, we're doing it. Ourselves. I don't think we're doing it because I I still don't know if I think they're a playoff team. I think they are one of the um, six through ten. But have you looked at the standings right the now? East. They're tied for fourth place through. I think the fourth through eighth is tied, if I'm not mistaken. It now Milwaukee down to down to. I think it's Milwaukee, Detroit. Washington yeah. Knicks. Basically, the Celtics, the Cavs, and the Raptors are all single-digit loss teams. Right. Seven, eight, and eight losses for those three. And then the Pistons, Pacers, Knicks, Bucks all have 13 losses. Wizards, Heat, Sixers all have 14 losses. Right, and that's what I said at the beginning of the year. Is like I wouldn't be surprised if they were a 10 seed. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if they were a 5 seed. Which is exactly that, that seems to be exactly the range. Because think about this. After the Sixers, who are 14 and 14 right now, the Nets are 11 and 18. So they're off the map. They're off. They fell off the cliff. So that's the eleventh team in the East. Still like what I see out of the Nets, though, especially after watching that Knicks Nets game. Yeah, I like the play, Nets, and they pl- haven't even had, good brand, and they haven't even had Jock play for them yet, and they haven't had D'Angelo back in a while. So. Yeah, and Jeremy Lin got hurt first game. Yeah, but I don't even, th- I don't really even think. Like, obviously, he helps, but I don't think he's him not playing is as bad for them as it, him playing is good for them. If that makes sense. If you talk talk shade at my man Jeremy no, Lin, I mean, you're about to get hit with the sauce. Falcon Yeah, you're you're gonna be <laughs> flying off the mat, Unless Falcon Punch style. You're out. Here. <laughs> Why is that on your soundboard? <laughs> I don't I don't know, man. It comes with a bunch of random sounds. Do you have like Kirby noises on there it, too? <laughs> it, was, it was free. You think I'm paying for for this? You're out of your mind. Oh, I got the free one. I got the free one. Doesn't have that great of a selection, but it has a really random selection. So I'm okay with it. Just real quick before we transition out of basketball again, PD uh, went to uh, went to Boston this weekend and went to TD Garden. I want to get his quick review of it. 
a basketball arena. There it is. Yeah, it <laughs> was it a is. basketball arena. The chicken tenders were pretty good. I hear great things about the TD Garden the, chicken tenders. The, the chicken tenders were probably a seven and a half out of ten. I'm cool with that. I'm with that. Nice <laughs> little beer selection. I'm fine with it. There was a fi- it was a fine place. There were more more banners there than in, in New York. Do they have Billy Joel banner? No. Well, you know, well, then I guess also, your place, uh, also, <laughs> I went to a Celtics game, and it was the worst game they played of the entire season. Do the Bruins play there at TD Garden? Because we probably have more batters then, just by virtue of Billy Joel, <laughs> the the uh, the Rangers, and the Knicks. I don't know. Actually, that's a good <laughs> question. I, I, I'm not going to say anything. Let me move on, because I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Boston was a cool place, though. Shout out. Um, this is Sports Block New York Podcast. This is me, uh, B. Pete, here. I'm here. Alex over there. So. We're talking about some sports. We talked a lot about the Knicks there. We talked about what is a catch or what isn't a catch or what should be a catch. I don't know. That's a thing that's going to be talked about this week. Uh, take it for what it's worth. But now it's time to give Alec the chance to express himself. Mm. Oh, I don't like that. Let's go, Yankees. Okay, so that's what it is. I'm going to preface um, you taking the floor over by saying I was – in Boston this weekend, and I, I was a little tentative to tell people I was a New York guy, New York fan, because I wanted to see what they, you know, they give me a little different treatment or anything like that, but I tell this guy I'm a New York fan, I'm a Knicks fan first, I don't hate the Celtics, whatever, he goes, yo, y'all ruined baseball. Okay, okay. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, did I just get you heated? Did I just get you heated? I did not expect to get you heated like this, but he said, we ruined baseball. I said, well, don't, don't lump me into this. I'm a measly old Mets fan. So don't worry, like don't worry about me. Baseball. But then he then he said, "Oh, I, you guys didn't do nothing to us." I'm like, "Yeah, you forgot a pretty important year in our history, 1986." <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> but my man said that we ruined baseball. He said Judge and Stanton are gonna both hit 50 home runs apiece, and it's not gonna be fun for anybody else. Yada yada yada. I'm like, "Oh, a lot has to happen." Trying to make it a little sound a little even, but where you where you landing on all this? Where you landing on Stanton? Where you landing on Boone? Take the floor. You can throw shade at this guy in Boston. I don't know who he is. He doesn't listen to all us. All right. Well, well I, I mean, Pete's obviously a huge basketball guy. I'm a big baseball guy. His Twitter is all ba- his Twitter is all basketball Twitter. Mine's all baseball Twitter. Now, I see a lot of hate, understandably so, because the Yankees are the odds-on favorite all of a sudden to win the World Series for the foreseeable future, at the very least. Um, and you know, you have three players on the team who could legitimately hit 50 home runs, especially back this pre- the protection in this lineup now um, between Sanchez, Stanton, and Judge, as well as people like Didi and Bird if he's playing all year, and you know, Gardner's going to get a lot more run score and stolen bases and yada, yada, yada. But there's this idea out there that the Yankees swindled uh, the, 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 the Marlins and are ruining baseball, which is so frustrating to me. Because first of all, they... They what did they take on five hundred thousand dollars in salary compared to last year so far by dumping uh, Headley, which that was a bad trade by the Padres. You can't believe in Brian Mitchell that much. But the Red Sox are the the like the the the, the people at the forefront of this complaining, and I understand it because they're they're you know they're the direct rivals and they're jealous and you know they stink. So wait, are you are you telling me that if this if I wasn't in Boston this week and I was in like Pittsburgh and like some waiter waiter at in Pittsburgh was like. Oh, the Yankees ruined baseball. Like that would be a little more acceptable to you than 
if a Boston fan did it. Well, I get, I get, I would get somewhere like Pittsburgh because they don't actually have funds to go get to get people and retain people, but they have, you know, they have the, a lot better. Hey, a nice little stadium out there, though. The PNC is beautiful, beautiful right place. Yeah. I've been there, but once <laughs> with the Red Sox, just I, I see it a lot from them because they're the the rivals, and a lot of people are getting on the Dodgers as well because they're doing the same. The Dodgers and the Yankees are exactly run the same right where now, and it's kind of scary that they're as competent as they both are. But the Red Sox and. Uh, and, and the Dodgers specifically, but I'm not going to get on the Dodgers, have taken on so much more salary in the past 10 years than the Yankees have. They, the Dodgers, I mean, the Red Sox saw David Price for $30 million a year. They traded their, they traded for the best pitcher in baseball, on the best team-friendly deal in, in, in baseball. And nobody complained when they got that. When, when the Marlins, the, the Yankees weren't their first choice, they got there because they have, they have a competent front office instead of Dave Dombrowski, who has no idea what he's doing and just throws money at the situation. Yankees know, uh, Brian Cashman knows when to jump into a situation and get what he's trying to do. He wasn't executive of the year for nothing. Yeah, it's it's unreal what he has the ability to do now that he has free reigns. Uh, after you know, now with the salary wait, luxury wait, tax. Do you say uh, free range like chickens? No, free reign. Oh, 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 sorry. Like R A I, like when it's raining out. You know? Oh, okay. He's okay. got he's got really good weather for free. <laughs> no, I mean I'm with you. I don't know. I don't believe you listened to our episode with me, Phil, and Mike the other day. But it was something that I brought up, and it was you know three days after after the fact, and. It, it it honestly bugged me, and I'm not I'm not a Yankees fan. Everybody who listens to this podcast probably knows that I love to poke at the Yankees when I can. I love to just take a jab here, take a jab there. But that's fine because it's coming exactly. from a different place. But th- when people start saying that this is rigged, Derek Jeter's helping his old team, and all this BS on oh, we Twitter, we spoke about this. Separately. That is like that is the most ignorant thing you can say because a why would Derek Jeter do something to hurt the franchise that he just invested himself and his career into, and b there was no leverage. Giancarlo Stanton turned down two different trades before he accepted the one to the Yankees. What's crazy what was me, Jeter supposed to do? What's crazy is like I get the initial, just the shock responses, but and I, I, I this came after Pete's last podcast where and I, I texted him independently. Pete's um, last podcast. <laughs> I like that. After after his press conference, Stanton's press conference, and his Instagram post, he had such a disdain. For this organization, and when you have a no trade clause and it is and someone who has a disdain for the organization, you have negative leverage. He gets to choose whatever he wants to do, and it wasn't even he didn't just say I want to be a Yankee. He he said there's a couple teams and the offers weren't as good. So then the, that's the back and forth. It's not rigged. It was a bad situation for the Marlins, and now Derek Jeter is like, all right, well I'm the bad guy. I'm gonna make all the unpopular decisions now so that you can't hate me in the future. And he needs to do this because the the Marlins have been hemorrhaging money for the past five years. And for baseball, it's it, it, they just released it's a ten billion uh, ownership has gotten ten billion dollars in, in revenue uh, in the past couple of years. So it's hard to lose money in baseball. It's really hard. They make so much money. Contrary to popular belief because people think baseball is dying they make so much money and and the way that the last cba is done the way that the luxury tax is, is structured people treat it as a salary cap without a salary floor so it and there's no more revenue sharing or not to the same extent that it used to be so people like place uh, excuse me organizations like the yankees and the dodgers are going to build up their farm system get younger get their cores and then trade away bad contracts to teams that can't they, they can afford it and build the right way Th- this is the new model you know I, everyone was I, I had thought this too I thought that the Yankees were going to do what the Cubs did which is build up a really strong farm system with with with, with, uh, with position players and then get pitching and everything the Cubs didn't really spend a lot of money uh, even on their pitching the Yankees have on the, the people that are going to be there for the next year the next couple the next 
you know, couple of years through the next decade or so are so cheap right now. And they just need to get under the luxury tax once, and then they're going to go way over the luxury tax. So it's not the problem of the Yankees. The problem is the CBA as well as the uh, the Rob Manfred and allowing the, the situation to be what it is. So you, you can't get mad at someone for taking advantage of the situation. It goes back to what I was saying before. You can't get mad at the player for accepting a bad contract. You have to get mad at the organization for offering it to them. And, like, also, I think not accepting the fact that the Marlins, uh, you know, got rid of, what was it, $230 million in Giancarlo Stanton, like $50 million in D. Gordon, another couple bunch of millions in Ozuna. Like, clearly, they are going in a different direction. Like, they, if, if you think the Giancarlo thing is rigged somehow, why did the Marlins then just go and trade Ozuna? Why did they trade D Gordon before that? Like they were clearly just dumping these people. Well, there were to rumors. Say that is so there stupid. were rumors so even dumb. before it happened, before the, the actual trade went down, was that the uh, Stanton was getting traded. The, the priority was not to get prospects, not to b- build through the, their farm system, but, but to just dump salary. And that report was going weeks before any trade was done. Before even the the Cardinals or the Giants trades were agreed upon, whatever. This was always known to be the case, and then that's what happened. So you can't get mad at that. It's just it's so ridiculous. I, I it's really and I understand it because I was I probably said similar things about Chris Sale when he went to the Red Sox last year, but I, I went through it just it was more of a shock value jealousy thing at first, and then you can kind of realize that this is just how it works. They're working within the parameters. They're not even cheating. It's not even like they're shading through things like someone like you know people say like the Patriots do or something like that. They're doing what every other team wants to be doing. They're just get. They're just doing it, and they're able to do it because they've done things well for the past couple of years, like very well, as well as anybody. Like yeah. I said, Ryan Cashman was the executive year of the year for a reason. But I, I, I always, I mean, I point. I listen to a lot of New York sports radio, and a lot of them, you know, they're they're Mets fans, and you know, there's there's a level of, of you know, being upset that the Yankees got sand when they didn't. And I said this before this year started that the Mets window was closed, um, but the Mets window is closed because. That ownership, even though the Mets are fifth in revenue in, in baseball, they are they are so afraid to put money into that organization. So it's, you, it's it's crazy so, how afraid they are. Yeah, so you the, the Yankees front office and ownership is just perfect in the fact that they're willing to spend the money and they're also savvy enough to build a farm system and get trade chips. So their their system is so stacked still that they can trade. Top, they're not going to do, but if they want to, they could trade their top five prospects and still be so deep in there. You're, you don't even know what your third baseman's going to be. You, you know Torres is going to be, at least within the first couple months, is going to be your starting second baseman. They still have enough. If they really wanted to, to just blow through it, they can get any third baseman in the league for a trade. If they wanted to trade a package of what they have, and it wouldn't even affect anything because they have the pieces that they need to go forward. Everything else is just trade chips in the minors. Y'all literally have too many prospects. Like You couldn't bring all of them out if you wanted to. You know what I think is so impressive, too? Um, a lot of there's a lot of talk right now for the Yankees were tra- trying to trade for Mike Fulmer or Garrett Cole or something like someone like that. They ended up signing CeCe. They're still looking to trade, and it was such a, s- a smart move by them because now they don't look desperate because they have five five pieces, but they want someone for long term. So they're still going to end up getting a Garrett Cole or a Mike Fulmer for lesser value because they got CC on a one year deal. That's a great move by a front office to do something like that. And and everyone else in the league, twenty eight other teams, because uh, the Dodgers are doing. I, I I'm very impressed with the Dodgers dumped like forty million dollars in salary with a trade too to get Matt, Matt Kemp just because they can. Um, it, it, every other team should be scared of what this is going to do because they're just set up for long-term success in a way that, you know, I thought maybe the Cubs would do that. But 
the way that the Yankees and the Dodgers are doing, I can't see it. And, and the Astros, too. But the Astros don't have the, really, the money to spend on free agents and stuff like that. It's going to be a couple teams swinging the league uh, for, for probably the next decade or so. Um, before we get into what you actually may expect out of this duo and talk about actually Stanton and the, and the little lineup situation, that could be fun to talk about. Um, Brian Cashman, in a way, reminds me of Bill Belichick. He has Bill Belichickian ways to him, in the sense that he doesn't take emotion into these considerations like at all. Even when Derek Jeter was towards the end of his career, looking to maybe retire or whatnot, his last contract negotiation was not done smoothly between him and the Yankees. Cashman was like, "This is what we have for you." Jeter was like, "I'm looking for more." Cashman says, "Well, this is what we have for you. So if you can find something else better somewhere else, see, like go get it." And obviously, Jeter ended up not going somewhere else. Like Cashman doesn't take emotion. Even in these situations. like, like Matsui, remember Matsui? He, right. he was just fresh off of a World Series MVP, and then he was gone. Yeah, just because he knew it was time to get out of there. And he exactly. So he knows when to get out. He knows when to. Uh, oh, I know. He knows how to not bring emotion into it. it. Reminds me of Bill Belichick, and that's even more of another reason to say you have to have so much trust in this guy. Because like he, with the CC situation is perfect. When he was asked about CC and if he would come back or not, basically what Brian Cashman said was, "We're going to consider CC Zabathia to be back on this team next year, but if he like if the price isn't right, he he might end up somewhere else. If we find something better, we might not bring him back." Basically, he said like, "Yeah, we'll bring back CC if CC is our best option because he might not be." And that is the way it's it's like, as a fan, it's hard to accept because you know Yankee fans love CC Zabathia. You don't want to see him wronged. Brian Cashman doesn't care if it's the right move. And that is something, as a fan, it may be hard to swallow when you see your favorite player get, like, shaded a little bit, but when you see your team succeeding, it doesn't, doesn't fucking matter. I couldn't agree more because, you know what, it's always upsetting, but then when the next guy comes in and actually succeeds, a la Didi Gregorius, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, oh, yeah. You forget. You kind of forget. I'm not saying everyone forgot about Derek Jeter, but they kind of forgot about Derek Jeter a little bit. Uh to a, to an extent, I, I mean, mean you just you just accept that he's now forty and he's done, right? Yeah. But like, if he gets this extra big contract, a la Kobe Bryant in L.A., he literally ruined the franchise for like four years. Yeah. At least, maybe it might extend a couple more years. Now you, you say something. You, you said before that you know you have to have this ultimate trust in Cashman, and I think the biggest test of that is going to be Aaron Boone, um, because I was I didn't like that signing at all. I didn't like I I was very upset that they got rid of Girardi in the first place. And then I you know I saw some of the names out there. I was like, okay, Hensley Mullins, I like him. He's got some coaching experience. He seems like someone who could really put a team together for you. And then I saw someone like Carlos Belcher. I'm like, all right, well he's a first. He's a you know I'm always reluctant to have someone first year to come in, but he's someone who has been in that clubhouse, knows the players, someone people really look up to, and knows the game very well. Uh, and I was like, okay, well Aaron Boone's just there so that people could say, okay, well the Yankees you know doing fan service. Aaron Boone was the last person I wanted there. I've li- I've been listening to him struggle through sentences on Sunday Night Baseball for for the past couple of years. He's not great, <laughs> but if he can just if you if you have the ultimate trust in Cashman. And um, he can just stick to analytics, and which is what you you would expect him to do. Then you'll see if Cashin really is just just a you know a complete god. Like, he is the goat right now. He he not the not the goat goat. But of it's going to be hard to manage these personalities, especially you know you saw. I don't know if you watched Stanton's press conference at all, but yeah, Stanton, I saw some of it. Stanton 
clearly through a lot of shit. Was very open uh, about his disdain for for the Marlins. You that worries me when he comes to New York media. Wait, I was yeah, I was thinking about this before, and I'm glad you just brought that up. You've been on point with me tonight with a little segue action. You brought up that Boone perfect time. Yeah, now that's this, why I'm the ace of the rotation. Maybe maybe you're bumping up in the rotation. If I'm Brian <laughs> Cashman, I gotta really take a look, take a look at your numbers. Give me a one year, ten million dollar deal I'll be, with incentives, and then I'll uh, I'll take it up. I, I only pay in uh, crypto kitties. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Giancarlo Stanton literally ripped the Miami Marlins. He didn't really hold back at all. He made it obvious that there was chaos there and he wasn't happy. Obviously happy to move on. If he or somebody else of his stature as like an athlete did that in a, in New York, like imagine Mello when he got traded from New York was just like, Thank God, like I'm out. Finally, I made it out. Man, that was so much drama, so much yeah, chaos. It's an identical situation. Like, it's genuinely but, but an Mello identical situation. Handled it like pretty truly professional. Yeah. Even you can 100%. You, you can hate on Melo all you want, but he handled that professional. Giancarlo Stanton kind of did it and didn't really get too much shade for it. Like everyone was just like, "Oh, Giancarlo Stanton calls out the Marlins because the Marlins are crappy run organization." They never said, "Yo, Giancarlo, you shouldn't have done that." But in some sort of big market. That would have been like a big news. Like I don't know. Is that me for only thinking that? No, I, I was thinking that the entire time. And I don't know if you noticed, but I, I was watching Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman look at him while he said that. And no, it, you you saw the screen grabs where they were happy and like looking gaga over them. But you could tell Brian Cashman especially was getting nervous when he was saying the things that he was. I get nervous with John. It's it's hard. This is something Joe Torre was really good at, and I never thought Joe Torre was a good manager. My father would always say this. Joe Torre was a really good manager because he was a Hollywood manager and managing personalities. Think of all the personalities they had, you know, on those teams. And he did a really, really good job with them. He wasn't a good baseball guy, but he was a really good personality guy. You have to hope that, that Aaron Boone can be like that. And he doesn't look like that kind of guy to me. Joe Girardi does. Joe Girardi seems like someone who can keep people in check. Yeah, I mean, but apparently Girardi is like the super rigid type, and they were maybe trying to get away from I, that a little I, bit. I, well, that's usually what happens. You go back and forth. I mean, look at the Giants with, you know, you, you have Coughlin a stern guy, Coughlin to McAdoo. <laughs> and just, yeah. Who's you, next? I, I want. I, I prefer to have a, a more stern, get-in-your-face kind of manager. Because I, th- I think, that I, I mean, obviously I've never been in a professional ball Ball uh, club uh, clubhouse. Oh no, <laughs> no, never. Well, I've been there, but not a, uh, just a fan. Just, just oh, a just fan. Like, like a just tour. A fan. Just a couple tours. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, but you know, I I would assume, and it seems from watching it on TV that they they respond better to a uh, more rigid in your face personality. You can also get worn out from look, a rigid personality. Yeah, but look at Terry there's, there's you know, you look and he's another extreme, but look at Terry Collins. He he was someone who the team could do anything on. They did they you know, the inmates ran the asylum there. And when that's the case, which it looks like Aaron Boone seems like that kind of guy to me. Just someone where he's too He's just gonna be like, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And you don't want that. That's so when you hear guys of the ilk of you know Michael Kays and ilk. other other yeah. Ilk. Ilk. Ilky. <laughs> Um, when you hear guys like Kay and other people around the Yankees or around ESPN, like speak really highly of Aaron Boone and how much he loves the game. And he was a kid following his dad's career, sitting in the stands. Like what, what he, what was that quote from Boone during this press conference? Like I didn't care about the popcorn. Know, he had a home run once. Remember? Yeah. Aaron <laughs> Boone, I think Aaron Boone said something about, he didn't care about the popcorn. He was like keeping a book as like a five-year-old. Some great nerd. I, I'm making that up. Like, <laughs> but something like that. So people say like, this guy is a huge baseball guy who loves it, uh, apparently is all in on the analytical part of it, and people tend to like him as a person? Like, does that something that affects the way you look at a manager, or no? Well, I mean, I, I've said this a million times. Yankee fans are the worst fans in the world. Uh, and they, they 
look at the name and they're like, oh, I remember when he did that for me. That was so fun, 2003. Wah! And then they forget that because they don't watch Sunday Night Baseball because they're not really Yankee fans. Um, and they don't listen to him speak and talk about baseball. And he's like paint drawing and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's never managed. He's never coached before. That's scary. That, that part doesn't bother me at all. Honestly, I think it matters in baseball. I, I, I would think, I think it, it matters in any sport. Really. I think it matters the least in baseball, though. Based on based on the fact that your in the moment decisions are usually I don't want to say that you can just like prepare for all of them, but you can kind of be a lot more prepared. And for each game, you like you have I don't know I feel I, like you have I always your, I you feel, have your decisions made and obviously you say like the gut stuff the gut stuff doesn't exist anymore no I don't even think it's the gut stuff I just think I think the, what the main thing sorry the what I, what I meant to say was the main thing for a, a manager in baseball for me is being able to stay up stay ready and keep your guys ready for 162 like I'm not worried about the ins and outs of the manager the manager position I'm more worried about a guy who can handle 162 who can handle media scrutiny every day who can handle um, a big market for the Yankees case and a guy who can work with baseball players. Yeah, I mean, I really disagree with you. I, I think that a, a baseball manager, if you're comparing like head coaches and, ma- and baseball managers, I think that they have the most control over the game than any other sport. I 1,000% Bec- right. disagree. No, I do because I mean you have time to every every play, every pitch is your your adjustments made. Whereas you know, play by play, you you only have so much time. There's a shot clock or whatever it is to to actually get in between things, and you know you have to think more on the fly. Whereas yeah, but uh, I just well, hold on. But like I think basketball is like, like a basketball coach and a football coach are prepping you for your game and you don't for your think game baseball plan. Play, you don't think managers no, prep no, them? I think they, they all no, prep. They're, they're prepping. They all prep the same. But there's not like as there's not like practice where you're teaching game planning you don't think they're you don't think they're reviewing video every day that's ignorant they, they 100 no of course they're reviewing like i don't know when you think of a, ba- a basketball coach and i think football a basketball coach, does the least amount you're you're pick no like you're like they're teaching them the sets and they're teaching them what plays they like to run and, and their offense and their defensive schematics like those are things that are getting taught def- every you don't year think defensive schematics are applied in baseball no they're put into place like they're just put into place like yeah. aaron boone is not out there like He's not going to be like, oh, uh, when we call number seven, Jacoby, you're going to be. Over you don't there think bullpen management is difficult? It's no, incredibly difficult. No, I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm just saying like knowing who to put in what situation. But I, what, I don't think the, to do, what, standing on the sideline of a basketball game or a football game. There's a reason they is call like it a high manager because they're managing the game. They're not. They're not coaching the game. They're managing it. They're managing every play. I don't know. There's something about play, I to, couldn't disagree to me. Anymore. There's something about standing on the sideline of a basketball or football game where there's action where you're making split decisions you said to football, sub people maybe. in and out. Ba- basketball is the least. You could have like someone like Eric in and out. You could have someone like you Eric set Spolcher, a lineup, and then you make adjustments. Yeah, you make adjustments uh, all game basketball, long. I think a basketball head coach is the le- is not not saying it's not difficult, but out of like the three. And I don't really know anything about like hockey or anything like that, but like I've had many baseball coaches anymore. in my life. I played baseball for like twenty years, right? In my but life. it's a bit different. And it's a bit different when you're talking about professional. But like I know you're right, of There's course. And I'm not trying to compare and... Division Three baseball to right. the MLB. But when I, I I've witnessed people put bullpens and bullpens into place and set all this stuff up before games and like put it, like it doesn't. If, it's very like think it's, of it this it's way. very cut think and dry. Of it this way, in it's basketball, you could have a coach who's just there, like a, like a Eric Spolstra or Ty Lue, and if you have the players well, around that's him, very ignorant about Eric Spolstra, but okay. Nowadays it is, but he, when he first started out, fair, didn't, yeah, fair. okay. So you have someone like LeBron James who can carry the team. Um, you know, you don't really need to do a lot of coaching. 
you can't do that in baseball. Look at if you're a bad coach, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to fail because there's no not when Brian Cashman is you giving you no, that's not true. All you, this stuff you to put into your lineup you and your bullpen and who's allowed to do this many pitches and who should be no, getting the at bats against this you think pitcher. Brian Cashman's doing that. Every not day? him specifically, like his his camp, his team. Like there, that whole thing about Binder Joe was from him having all these decisions like set up for him to yeah, be but, made. But he's the. He, but what does he, he do? Like but those were his own personal analytics. Literally, he, what people have been saying about managers this entire like this after this season with analytics becoming bigger and bigger and bigger is that the manager have become just a showman like they're just there for the show i I couldn't disagree more you look at you can't in baseball is the only sport where you like this is why i never have a problem with big spending is because just because you have names doesn't mean you're gonna win like basketball if you have the best if you have the best names on paper you're usually gonna win that's usually not 100 but more so than most other sports football you have an electric player like an odell beckham jr you can make the rest of the team look good you don't you can look as evidenced by Miami last year, who had a great lineup and horrible pitching staff. It's it's impossible for one person to take over a game and to win you games. Look at Mike Trout with the Angels. Mike Trout's the best player, uh, without a doubt, in baseball, and they can't win games. It, it's, it's important for a manager and front office to work in tandem together, more so than other sports, because you can't have – there's no – one one or two players that could take over a game for you. John Carlos Stanton was John Carlos Stanton last year, and they didn't win a lot of games. You I, need to have a good. It, there's a lot of things that more so in baseball. I think personally, I'm not saying I'm right or you're wrong, even though I am and you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, but I think it's it's a lot more important to have a good manager. Uh, I mean, look at the like, Red Sox. I think, look I at the think, Red Sox. The Red Sox suck every year because their think, manager wait, sucked. Well, I think you're I think you're saying out loud what people have been just adamantly saying the opposite for the past couple of weeks. Like people, people have been saying more and more about baseball managers becoming irrelevant, becoming I think just I, a wet, like uh, just a figurehead. I, I, I think that there is there is an idea of that out there. I don't think it's accurate, and I think that anybody who's really into baseball would, would agree with my idea. I mean, I, I, I have a little bit of an echo chamber with baseball Twitter on, my, on what I see every day. Yeah, and it's a lot more involved. It's it's similar to probably your basketball Twitter. I, I guess you know, and and I think that that's there is a significant more onus on analytics. But like, I think AJ Hinch. Do you who, think? Wait, do you think the data? So like, say you know the Yankees are playing. Whatever the Evan Longoria is still on on Tampa Bay, right? He's on the sure race. Sure is biggest Yankee killer of all time. Right. So you're facing Evan Longoria, and he crosses the Yankees. He's a big pull hitter nowadays, which I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just saying. So the data says he's pulling the ball like crazy. What is Aaron Boone doing that's extraordinary by looking at data and saying, "Oh, when Evan Longoria is up, we're going to use this shift." Like. It's not just about shifts. That? It's not just about shifts. It's about different pitches, different types of pitches, different areas in the zone. Out he's not zone. calling games. He's not going to be calling games, but it's no knowing way. you knowing that's part of bullpen management. Knowing he's who's not go. calling pitches, he's not calling pitches, but he's putting the pitchers in there. He's putting the right people in, in the in the right spot to do it. In the spots where he's getting fed information on this guy is you know he CC after seventy five pitches starts to struggle. And then after about 75, 80 pitches, you, Aaron you Boone really pulls out CeCe. Wow, great job, Aaron. You think there's no part of the eye test that goes into it anymore? I think there's less and less about the eye test and the gut feelings in baseball Well, maybe it went from 100% ever. eye test to 80 or 70%. No. Oh, I couldn't disagree with you more. You what do you, why do you think Binder Joe was such a big thing? Why do you think that was such a, a thing that bothered Yankee fans? 
Right, because he because he used a lot of analytics. I understand that. But you look at someone like AJ Hinch. So the the Astros, I believe, either either have the most money into their analytics department, or they have their the most uh, the, the most used, or whatever the case may be. Okay. AJ Hinch is a great manager and knows who to put in what situations, and, and sure, and, and he knows how to do that. Just because you have analytics doesn't make you good. No, I I'm not saying it does. I'm everyone just saying ha- because everyone has analytics. That's the whole thing. So. When it's not like it's not Moneyball with the A's anymore, right? That was when when this first came into when the they league. were the only ones doing it, right? And plus, that's so great. now everyone has these the same advantage. So it the, now the competitive balance is there. So outside of that, there's differentiations between what makes one team better and what's not. And part of that's that the players, part of that is a manager. And and look at what, something that I would say with with Joe Girardi last year. And, and and part of not just having the analytics, but imparting them and making sure that the players are on board and understand why things are being done is a huge part of being a good manager. You you think that you think we're all just so you're saying you personality, sh- managing personalities is what you're saying. I said that was part of it. Yeah, but you're talking like you were also talking about like strategic stuff. Like I, don't I think that pa- I think that's part of it. I don't know. I disagree with you. Maybe, maybe, and you said about the echo chamber. Maybe I am, you know, giving too much. I, I, I don't know. I kind of am okay with. Michael Kay's opinions on stuff like this. Oh, Michael Kay, by the way, like, is so frustrating to me lately because he keeps calling a shot saying, oh, everyone, I, my sources are telling me Shohei Otani is going to be a Yankee. Didn't become a Yankee. Oh, my not, sources I don't are care t- about his no, sources. This is, a little, this is just a little rant. Okay. My sources are telling me Aaron Judge is going to be is going to be the MVP. Wasn't even close. Yeah, no, he has no idea. Close. His sources are not there. Right. He's, he's so like he might have tra- right He might now. have trash sources. But I'm sorry. Might, that's just it, different. I'm just frustrated with it. Might, it might be because maybe his sources are too Yankee biased. Maybe that's possible. But what he's been saying about the situation with manager with the manager is how he sees across baseball it becoming less and less relevant to have some manager outside of a figurehead who can handle personalities. So that's kind of where I, I was like, I've landed on that. And thinking about baseball managers in general, I've heard you say like teams have won in spite of that manager. Like Ned Yost wasn't a good manager. Royals were good. You say John Farrell is not a good manager. The Red Sox have been effective as a team. Like yeah, they've but effective, made, but that, like that, they've but been that, good. But that doesn't—that's not what I'm saying. To, to push you over the edge is a different story. Are you talking about playoffs? Because that's a different story. I'm talking about everything as a whole. I mean, I, 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 from my mentality, I think winning is very important. I don't, I don't. This is a Yankee mentality, and you know. I so, just, are you like, saying like, all right? I, I think you might have been one who's who's gone on to this and said Ned Yost was technically like not a good manager. Uh, I don't remember that. You, you being the guy, I, I, I do I, feel that way. But I remember yeah. hearing things about Ned Yost being yeah, like, "Oh, he's a B manager. Oh, he's a B minus manager." I'm like, "Okay, I guess so." But the Royals are doing good for these couple of years. Like, what does that mean? Because, like, I don't. In my opinion, it's 162 games of baseball players being professional baseball players. Uh, yeah, people are telling them, "All right, now we're doing this shift. Now we're doing that shift." All right. Um, hit the ball this hit the like hit the ball the other way trying to get the guy to third. I like, think there's I, a reason now everyone's trying to hit home runs anyway. Like no, I, I don't know. I think I think the think that players look a lot better than they necessarily are because of a good manager. I, I always said this about the Yankees bullpen. Ever since Joe Girardi was their manager, compared to what Joe Torre, because Joe Torre was a horrible bullpen manager. Joe Girardi never had a bad bullpen. And and everyone who leaves his bullpen goes out and becomes a closer somewhere else, like Justin Wilson or Anthony Swarzak, the new he's probably gonna be the Mets closer or whatever it is. You know, these people, uh, they they come here and they work within the system and they learn how to use what they do, and that's part of being a good manager and knowing what to do. And yeah, there's a, a analytics factor heavily into that, but 
also not being afraid to do something is also a huge part of being strategically a good manager. I think that that's a huge part. Not being afraid to make a tough decision, like take like taking one of your best players who's on a hot streak and giving him a day off. Just because your analytics say that, there's a lot of people who are afraid to do that. That's a that's part of being a good manager. All right, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. I think. I think we were arguing two separate things for a little bit there, but that's okay because we well, got. You were arguing a dumb point. I was arguing a right point. That's All how right. this works. That's, that's, just, kidding, that's kidding, just inaccurate. Kidding. That's just not I'm true. Kidding, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. It's it's gonna be interesting though because I I think unfortunately or fortunately or just whatever it is, we're gonna start seeing people care less and less about managers, and we're gonna start seeing either these figurehead names that we know, or these names that we've never heard of who are gonna be cheap, who are gonna do what the front office wants them to do, and hopefully be good dudes. You know, like that, I think we're going to see some of that. Well, I mean, we'll find out this year with Aaron Boone. We will. He's got the talent. He has the information. Now he needs to put it in place. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. So you're, you're not feeling too hot on Aaron Boone. No, I think it's I think it's going to be tough to manage personalities. I think there are a lot of whether you, you know not Judge or, or or Gary or anything like that, but the people who aren't necessarily haven't come through the system, um, you know the the Chapmans and uh, the, I don't know the the. Stantons of the world. I think that's going to be tough. I also think it's going to be tough to get the younger guys to play for you. I think that's a, that's a huge part of it is because they're learning things on their own. You know, uh, Glaber Torres is going to have a lot of hype around him, and he's going to struggle like any any rookie will. He may not, you know, bat one hundred like like Wade did this year for us, but if you know he's going to struggle initially, he's not going to hit four hundred in his first year. He's probably going to hit two fifty, two sixty, something like that, and that's a good season for someone just starting out when he's twenty one years old, and. For if you you know if he's not ready if he's ready and you want to make sure that he feels all right and comfortable within the system to do things that's part of being a good manager is, is working with this young talent. So I don't know that he has that ability. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that you know they has the, he has the tools in place. So it often feels like a conversation like this comes down to we shall see. We, we shall. We shall. We shall see. Uh, the Yankees season is going to have a ton of hype. They are not only going to be the talk of New York. They're the, they're the talk of the MLB. They're the talk of the MLB. It's going to be fun in New York. Now we have one hope, and I think Yankee fans, MF fans alike, can agree to have this hope together. Let's hope the Mets are at least like a respectable franchise for Mets' sake. Like Met on Mets' relative terms, hopefully they're respectable for like a Mets season. On a quick quick note, you know, I, I remember when, when they first announced Mickey Calloway, I was like, ah, he's a pitching coach. They're not usually good. If there's anything the Mets need. It's a good guy to wrangle the pitching, and you know what that. So it, some would say they they need that. Yeah, I mean they have they have the talent there. I mean yeah. it's it's. I think that the more I think about it, he could probably be a good effective manager for them, and I think that's kind of what you want. So, you know, I, I I like when the Mets are good as long as the Yankees are good as well. Yeah, of course, of course. I don't want the, you know I'll, that's I'll, fair. I I always root for against them unless the, no matter the, what. Yeah, but the, it's fun. It's good when New York has two good good baseball teams. I, I think just like when it's good when the Knicks are good. Exactly, it's popping when they're both good, and hopefully. Hopefully, uh, they both will be good. The Yankees are going to have the realest expectations like they've had in a long time. That's scary to me, and that's a little nerve wracking. But it's going to be fun. I mean, listen, they're they're going to accidentally hit the playoffs, but you know, it's the it's getting to the World Series because I mean, we did it last year. So absolutely, absolutely. All, All right, right, man. Starlin, by the way, this is it. Yo, shout out, shout out, Starlin. You done good while you were here out in New York grinding in the Bronx. So shout out Starlin Castro. Uh, shout out Yankees. Hopefully Aaron Boone can uh, show us something. But also, shout out Alec Argento. And shout out the Sports Blog New York podcast. If you like what you've been hearing, head on to iTunes, Apple Podcasts app. Click the rating and review button and just hit a couple stars. Tell us what you think. If you like what you hear, 
Offer on the table. I'll still review you back. We will review you back. We'll have some fun with it. We'll be got a little back and forth going. Maybe we'll take you out for some coffee. <laughs> Only decaf, though. Why? I don't know. I wanted to say something random. <laughs> That's a weird comment at the end That's of the show. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. All right. This is it. This is Sports Block New York Podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy. Alec Argento. Thank you for tuning in. Peace.